0: Welcome to episode number 12 of The Thermal. I'm your host Harry TenKate. Who would have thought that even just a few weeks ago that the vast majority of the world's gliding community would be grounded due to a nasty pandemic. And to add insult to injury, most gliding contests and vintage meets have been postponed or canceled outright. Here in Canada, all gliding clubs are closed. Club leaderships are working on plans to start up flying again once individual provinces give the green light for outdoor activities. Some pilots with self-launching sailplanes have been able to get in some flying, but for most of us, it's just a faint memory. With people dying in droves, not being able to glide is a pretty small sacrifice to stop the spread. But some countries are on the other side of the COVID curve and are starting to lift restrictions, while other nations are still firmly in lockdown mode. On this episode of The Thermal, we will check in with glider pilots from Australia, Germany, South Africa, the United Kingdom, the United States, and Canada. We will find out what's happening during COVID and when gliding will potentially start up again. And are you in lockdown, and do you want to learn something new? Why not become an official observer and help your fellow pilots claim badge and record flights? We find out what's involved from a senior official observer. That's all on episode number 12 of The Thermal, the COVID edition. The interviews on this show were recorded at the end of April. The United Kingdom has been one of the hardest hit nations in Europe when it comes to the COVID 19 pandemic. The death toll and infection numbers are still climbing, and the curve isn't close to leveling off. Tim Fregard is the chair of the British Gliding Association Safety Committee. I've reached him at his home in Chilbolton, in Hampshire. Hello, Tim, and thanks for coming on the Thermal.
1: Hi, Harry. It's a pleasure to join
0: you. So give me an update. What's happening uh, where you live at the moment? So
1: in the UK, uh, we're not quite as confined as some other places, but we're supposed to be staying at home, except for um, crucial journeys that are about going out for food, looking after people. We're allowed out to exercise. Um, We haven't got any legal limits on how far we can go, but the police are turning people away from popular spots and that sort of thing. Uh, everybody's getting pretty organised about um, uh, group, you know, group in the village where people that can move around looking after people who have to confine themselves because they're vulnerable or old. Right. And uh, life is quite different. It's much more peaceful. The skies are bluer.
0: <laughs> but unfortunately, we're <laughs> left uh, on the ground looking up at the sky at the moment. What What's the status of gliding in the UK?
1: So gliding has stopped. Um, it hasn't actually been legally shut down. Um, it was uh, left in the hands of the uh, the, the gliding world and, and also the light aviation world to kind of take that decision for themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're, I think the only avi- light aviation that's happening is you're permitted to take a powered aircraft in the air if it's absolutely essential to keep the engine uh, in condition. Right. Um, but there's, there's been no gliding for probably four
0: weeks now. So is the BGA coming up with some kind of guidelines and protocols getting ready for the day that gliding can start again? Yeah, that's
1: interesting because we haven't the faintest idea how long that's going to be and how uncurrent we're going to be by that point. But uh, uh, over here, as in, in plenty of other affected countries, this came at a time when a lot of people still hadn't checked out uh, after a long layup over the winter. Uh, and that's giving us uh, a bit of bit of thought there as well. But the uh, the BGA just in the last few days has come out with a, a one page of of loose guidance really for um, returning to flight should it happen within a reasonable length of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, actually, I found it interesting because my my view on this was based very much upon my personal experience, and uh, that's echoed in um, in the advice that's come out here. So, what kind of
0: advice are we looking at? Yeah, well, the observation really
1: is that. Um, uh, pilots who are reasonably accomplished tend not to lose their stick and rudder skills so much as their procedural skills. They tend to get most things right and then forget some things completely. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think quite a lot of the advice here is about risk management and making sure that you've tried to get your head back into the right sort of uh, frame of mind before you take to the air. So um, So is the requirement...
0: Sorry to interrupt you there, but is the requirement for a spring checkride is that now moved down and pilots can self-check something along those lines? Is that what you're suggesting?
1: Well, first of all, the BGA advice here isn't really prescriptive, but it's given some examples here, um, and it's kind of saying if you're a if you're a Gold Sea pilot or an experienced instructor, um, then probably if you sort of sit down, read through some some guidance, um, pick a day when the risks are very low um then you can probably check yourself out mm-hmm. of course pilots who are weren't particularly current at the beginning um and uh, maybe not very experienced at the beginning then we'll definitely be uh, hoping we've got instructors who can give them check flights
0: so two seaters what's uh, what are the thoughts on that
1: yeah well um i guess that depends upon what the uh, the, the the global situation is in terms of the uh, the virus by the time we start flying again Most likely is that there will still be plenty of glider pilots who are in the category of being vulnerable to the disease um, and uh, that we'll want to be uh, keeping distances between people up, even if it's not kind of legally enforced upon us. Mm -hmm. I know there's been some discussion of whether you can uh, put uh, screens in
0: gliders and so on, but I don't think anybody's really reached a conclusion on that yet. Right, right. Yeah, so much uncertainty still to try and figure things out. And yeah. I imagine you're recommending that, that, you know, even if the gliding operations start again, the visiting public will be, you know, not, uh, not welcomed as much as they used to be?
1: I think we're not expecting that to take off again for quite a long time.
0: Hmm. Hmm.
1: Of course, it's a great worry for the clubs because um, they're worried about uh, loss of income and drift away of members too,
0: but I'm sure we're all feeling that around the world. Now, were there any other protocols uh, recommended by the BGA when it comes to wiping down gliders or keeping masks on, anything along those lines? Uh,
1: Nobody's mentioned masks so far, but we were certainly in the last days before the lockdown, Um, We were spending quite a lot of time wiping down gliders uh, and trying to find ways of of minimising that contact. You were finding glider pilots standing quite a long way apart on airfields. Mm -hmm. Um, And noticeably, they have a a bit of a sense of the wind as well. So they were tending to stand crosswind quite a lot. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, Tim, I I appreciate your time. Uh, Let's hope that this turns around and that uh, the UK will get a gliding season or some kind of gliding season in this year. So thanks for your time and stay safe. Mm, well, thank you very much, and, uh, and the same to everybody else too. Tim Fregard is the chair of the British Gliding Association's Safety Committee. He spoke to me from Chilbolt in Hampshire. Tim will be back on the podcast in June to talk about a disturbing trend in towplane upsets. For more information on what the British Gliding Association is doing on the COVID front, I've posted a link on the Thermals Facebook page. The situation in Germany is slightly different. The pandemic has peaked and the government is starting to loosen restrictions. Katrin Senna is a world-class competition pilot and rep for Yonker sailplanes. I've reached her in Eidlingen, Germany. Hello, Katrin. Thanks for coming back on the podcast to talk about COVID and gliding.
2: Thank you. Very nice to be back again.
0: Yeah, it was strange. I mean, we spoke three months ago when you were just uh, back from Australia and you know, you spoke about bushfires in Australia and flying through conditions there. And now, uh, three months later, we're talking about COVID. It it feels very strange.
2: It is very strange. Yeah, the, the world turned upside down. It just made a full stop, a complete full stop. Unbelievable. Yeah.
0: So what's happening in Germany, in, in your town where you live?
2: Well, we had also now six weeks of restrictions where we only were allowed to go shopping out. So all schools were closed, like everywhere. But we, we were not in complete uh, lockdown. We were still able to go shopping, as I said, and also do our our sports. If you wanted to go uh, riding your bicycle or going jogging, it was still allowed to do. So not as strict as we face it in Austria or in Italy or in Spain.
0: Right, and that, At the moment. so your conditions sound very similar to what we have here in Canada. There are, um, you know, requests, but uh, the only law really is less than five people in Ontario, and uh, you're supposed to uh, stay two
2: meters apart. That's it, really. That's that's right. That's the same here. We have a new law now since Monday if we go out in public, so we also have to wear masks now, which was not compulsory the, the past six weeks.
0: Right, right. From the gliding point of view, how is that shaping up? Have gliding clubs in Germany, do you guys have a plan? What you, What are you thinking?
2: I'm just sitting on my, on my emails because we have just got a new email from the government. As you know, the gliding is... We have a federal restraint system here in Germany and all the sport activities are are in the hands of the local countries which they do or which they say. So we have a federal state um, situation in Germany. We have 16 countries and for instance last week the the country of Rheinland-Pfalz, they already said um, our Public airports are open again, so people are allowed to come and fly if they regard, if they take, uh, yeah, if they just regard the, the five meter or the two meters apart from each other and no, no personal contact. So they were able to fly. And I just got an email from our um, sport minister conference, which was held yesterday evening. And now they say that the, yeah, the sport makes a big contribution to the social cohesions and the pres- preservation of health and mo- mobility and thus the quality of life of the citizens, especially in times of tension. So it must therefore be made possible again step by step. So this means that they are opening now starting from the 4th of May. They are allowing to do sports again, it looks like.
0: Oh, well, that's good news so- for you guys.
2: Yeah. So I think our our country uh, gliding um, clubs or communities they will now give out uh, guidelines and I think we will be able to go gliding again from the 4th of May onwards.
0: So what are some of those guidelines and protocols? I mean, for example, let's say you land in a field, uh, you know, do you have to wear masks? What what are the protocols that uh, they're thinking about?
2: Yeah, the protocol, they, they just said, if I can just mention this, the sport and training operation can be permitted in accordance with the following rules in recreational sports in a first step. So it is if the sport is possible to do in fresh air, in public space or on public or private outdoor sport facilities, and um, if you can ensure a sufficiently large distance between people from one and a half meters...
1: Mhm.
2: If it can be carried out without contact. So this means for double seater flying this I don't know if we will be able to do that flying in double seaters because of the distance. Right. We have to wait for what happens.
0: And that's going to be a problem for check rides as well.
2: Yeah, and and the hygiene and disinfection measure measures consistently followed. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think we can do that. So I think we can do wind operating and aerotowing.
0: But the, the problem exists gliders. just like in many other countries when if you have to keep the distance, you can't use two seaters. We're coming out of a winter layover. What about currency for pilots? How are you guys gonna handle that?
2: Yeah, we are still discussing that in our club, for instance. And we said then the the gliding instructors should do a list. um and take in consideration how many starts and how many hours a pilot has done last year and then do a, a, a start alone but with the with the gliding instructor on the ground and on the radio and just to be guided around
0: interesting and
2: this, but yeah so we are we are thinking about doing that and then when it's possible to do a, a double seater start again to make the check flight afterwards
0: mm-hmm. what about cross-country flying
2: it doesn't say anything that we shouldn't do that i think we can do that we can start doing that again
0: i'm just trying to imagine a... you have somebody in anelis for the that goes, goes cross country and winds up in a field somewhere um i then you'll have two people in a car driving back, the pilot and his one retrieve crew. I guess that's problematic.
2: Yeah, that's maybe problematic. Yeah, then it must be somebody of the same household to help you.
0: Right. The people
2: who have been around the last couple of weeks. Yeah, maybe we'll have to address that also. Who's your retrieve car in case of outlanding? Yeah.
0: Things get complicated quickly with this whole thing.
2: Yeah, I know. (laughs) it's (laughs) <laughs> it's <laughs> it is
0: so in in the big picture though it sounds like you guys are taking the slow steps to get back into some kind of normalcy when it comes to gliding which is a good which is good news
2: i hope so i hope so i haven't gone i haven't got but this is what the con- the minister conferences uh, gave out mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. just today
0: Well, Katrin, Uh, thank you very much for the update on this. Uh, I hope you uh, get some flying in, some safe flying, and that the the rates of infection and everything else keeps keeps dropping where you are.
2: Yeah, we hope so too. But it is a fragile situation everywhere.
0: Stay safe, Katrin. Thank you.
2: Yeah, thank you. Thank you, too. Harry, bye. Bye.
0: Katrin Senna spoke to me from Eidlingen, Germany. On the other side of the Atlantic, the United States has been hammered particularly hard by the COVID-19 pandemic, with over 1 million confirmed cases and a death toll of over 60,000. Ann Lafford is the chair of the Soaring Association of America. I've reached her in Dansville, New York. Hello, Ann, and thanks for coming on the podcast.
3: Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: Now, I've reached you in New York State, which is one of the hardest hit areas in the u s How are you doing?
3: We are doing quite well. We live in upstate New York, so we're quite a distance from the densely populated uh New York city. Mm-hmm. so however, we are following all the state you know guidelines and rules that are in place that have been made. Mainly because of the New York City situation. So, our, you know, if you're out in the public, there's a mandatory, uh, measure in place to wear face masks. They won't even let you in stores unless you do. And, uh, we have a, um, you know, stay at home order and that's been extended to May 15th as of right now. So that's how, um, this situation is affecting us.
0: I realize there are 50 states with different requirements across, you know, your great country. What is the rough status of gliding in the U.S.? Is anything going on at the moment?
3: Well, right now, most of the gliding clubs, it's really up to them and their local, uh, you know, state and, you know, local health requirements of how they can or cannot operate. So they need to make the decisions based on that Mm -hmm. Um, in communicating with some of the clubs uh, like and I can speak about our club also we have postponed the opening season of full operation for our club which means we aren't doing any dual flights however uh, individual flights um, can take place and it's based on you know a uh, tow pilot uh, willing to tow you, which really hasn't been a problem because they're in the plane by themselves. And we have put disinfecting type procedures in place on, you know, just how to uh, clean the planes and stuff. So that's what we're enforcing in our club. And I know some of the other clubs are doing the same. They're, they're, they're flying, but they're not doing dual instruction.
0: Interesting. So even in, in your state right now with a lot of the protocols that are in place, you're still able to actually get some flying in.
3: Yes, that's correct. We are. Yeah. Hmm.
0: And have you heard about other states and what they're doing?
3: Uh, No, I really haven't heard um, specifically from any of the other states and what they're doing. The only one I am familiar with is in Texas. And I know they're doing the same thing. Individuals can fly single place or you know by themselves but there's no dual um dual flights taking place so they're pretty much doing the same thing that we're doing here in dansville
0: now is the the soaring society of america which you're you're head of head of are there protocols that you're putting out as suggestions for clubs and how to restart operations or what what they should be doing is there anything like that
3: Uh, Not specifically as far as uh, guidelines on what they should be doing. However, we do have a contest committee in place, and they published um, guidelines and recommendations based on what's happening with COVID. Mm -hmm. And one of the things they did is they canceled the um, nationals, all, all of the nationals for this year will be moved to the same locations for next year, except for sports class. They're going to make a decision on the sports class nationals on June 1st. Uh, and, you know, as far as so they put guidelines in place for that. But as far as how to specifically operate within the club, Um, No, we haven't. We've really left that up to the individuals because of their state requirements. You know, it's going to be different for different um, states.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So at at your club, how do you maintain uh, the required hygiene uh, standards that have been put in place?
3: Well, we have a disinfecting um, solution that's made up. It's in a, you know, in a spray bottle. And it's it's there so that the inside of the gliders can be wiped down, but it's been made you know uh, notice has been given to each of the members that it's really your responsibility to make sure that things have been disinfected. So even though somebody does it when they get out, if you're getting in, it would behoove you to <laughs> make sure you've taken you know the proper precautions to make sure that the glider's been you know disinfected appropriately right and now, they have a, and they have a little write up that they put together stating um you know the procedure and guideline for doing that
0: okay what about cross country flying i imagine that's a whole different uh situation because if you were to land out in a field that i don't think there would be uh that much of a welcoming committee
3: uh well usually when people go cross country if they're going cross country and they think they are going to land out or they're doing flying for the day there's going to be members in the club that they've let know that they're doing that and that way they would be made available for for pickup so it would still be you know you're not you're not going to have a crowd of people coming to to help you which you don't really need anyways Mm. so i don't i don't really view that as being a problem but again we're just starting our soaring season we I mean, we had snow last week, so, (laughs) and you've probably been the same up in your area, too. Right. So, um, yeah, it's just the beginning of the season.
0: And I guess the other issue that, you know, I've spoken to other people in the the U.K. and Germany, it's it's the the checkouts. Some pilots will require them and, and some won't because of their experience.
3: That's correct. We have, as part of our club rules, we do have a mandatory checkout every year. And we always start with the instructors. But because of the situation we're in, we are um, postponing those checkouts. However, an individual that is interested in flying has to contact the chief um, instructor, and he will make a decision on whether they can fly. And it's based on their experience, like right now the instructor's you know can go up and they can fly they've got a lot of experience themselves right so right. Um, that way that way pilots are staying current
0: does the uh, soaring society of america have any plans to put out uh, a set of protocols or something to help clubs get started up and running again
3: at this point in time we we don't have any plans um, in place to do that again like we had indicated we're really leaving that up to the individual clubs based on what their particular um, state requirements are and we are referring them to their state requirements um, to be able to put what they feel is appropriate you know for for their particular situation
0: right and finally have you been able to get any flying in yet
3: Actually, I was at the seniors and I had a great opportunity to fly with uh, Pete Alexander on one of the tasks the one day. So that's my first flight of the year.
0: (laughs) Well, I I certainly hope for you that it's not your last and you get some flying in. So thank you very much for speaking to me and giving me the the sort of COVID and gliding update out of uh, the United States. Thank you.
3: You're welcome. Thank you. Appreciate it.
0: Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. The Soaring Association of America's chair, Ann Lafford, spoke to me from Dansville, New York. Some American gliding clubs have started dual flights. The Las Vegas Valley Soaring Association has posted photos of two pilots in a Schweitzer 233. The pilots are wearing masks and are wiping down control surfaces, according to the Post. Having spent many hours in a 233, I'm pretty sure these two pilots aren't maintaining the recommended two meters of physical distancing, But health policies vary widely by state and country. In the Southern Hemisphere, South Africa has fared relatively well with only 100 or so deaths and low infection numbers. But the nation is in lockdown mode. I've reached Ace Jonker of Jonker Sailplanes at his home in Polchester, South Africa. Hello Ace, what's uh, life like in South Africa at the moment?
4: good evening a yeah it's quite uh, interesting times we're really living in i I think since the second World War this is the biggest occasion worldwide that that happened and also in South Africa uh, we also significantly affected by it mm-hmm. um, not so much into in terms of the number of uh, deaths and, and infections I think we are some of the lowest in the world if if you would think about it the the number of, of deaths per 100,000 of population rates in the UK about around 27 in, in the States, about 14 deaths per 100,000. Uh, South Africa is only 0. 0.11, you know, so we're far off the rate. So that's very and good. And this is maybe thanks to, to some proactive action of, of government, mm-hmm. which uh, called the lockdown very early when it was noticed that some of the overseas visitors returning to South Africa started infection locally. And the uh, complete lockdown was called. So that was on the twenty seventh of March. So okay. almost a little bit more than a month ago.
0: Are you still and, in lockdown uh, at the moment? And
4: we were all. Yes, we're still in lockdown. Uh, so we, we we're all in, in in lockdown. It start to be relieved in in a couple of uh, by by Friday. We can start to go back to work again.
0: So your production at the at the factory is has stopped for the moment. But you're going to be able to go back to work.
4: Unfortunately, production had to stop a hundred percent. Um, luckily, we we have relief from the from the lockdown from uh, from Friday. So from Friday, um, there's different categories. So we're now in a lockdown, which they call lockdown level five, which is a complete lockdown. And we will move to lockdown four from Monday, and then each province will will be able to to assess the number of infections, and then we'll be lower the lockdown intensity to level three, to one, and then back to zero. Are
0: you going to be able to put in protocols to ramp up production?
4: Yes, the first, the first, obviously we are in lockdown, but from Friday we can return to work um, with 20% of the personnel at time, which means that we will be running two shifts and uh, we will focusing on production. So the production will be 60% if I guess 60% of the personnel will be will be back running with all the administration actions that's possible that will be run from home offices and also the engineering team. Um, the prototyping team, which is engineering service, could run at full, uh, full capacity. So that's quite good that engineering services producing, uh, uh, supporting manufacturing organizations can actually return 100% back to work, um, which is, is good news. news for us.
0: What's the status of, of gliding? Is anybody doing any flying at all at the moment?
4: The airspace is completely locked down from the 27th of March. So all flights need to have approval from our Civil Aviation Authority. And that they actually only granted permission for critical services like crop spraying. And if there had to be people um, returned from overseas, there, there were special flights allowed inside the country. So if you look at Radar 24, the South African airspace is completely dead for one month. It's um, quite amazing. Do you
0: expect gliding clubs to be able to start up again in the near future?
4: Yeah, our club, um is approaching the minister to explain that, that for for requirements for for currency and to keep equipment in good working order that we need to to start up operations soon and we expect that we will be able to to get it lifted soon the advantage that that we in the southern hemisphere is having is that we're getting to the end of the the season and we actually completed our flying season not completed but we had a good summer flying season and the desire to continue with flying is not as high as it would be in the northern hemisphere We are now coming out of winter and you actually would like to get airborne again. Yes, so for tell, us, the, tell me about it. <laughs> the effect, you know, the effect on, on our society is at this moment not so severe. You can see the people actually talking and like to go and fly. But um, I think we're all understanding the situation and, um, and it is, there's no much uh, complaints about it at this stage. And I think that we will be able, within the next month or so, to to be able to do operations. I doubt it if it will be in club, if clubs will be operated and schools will be operated to fly, but I think individuals will be able to to return back to air.
0: Right. That's what I'm hearing from other countries as well. Uh, Well, I heard that about Germany, that that's going to be happening there. And it's also happening in the US at the moment. In England, it's completely
4: shut down and they're not expecting anything for a number of months. Yeah, I know. It's amazing times. It's absolutely amazing. It actually feels funny that you're not allowed to fly. Yeah. That's a weird feeling to, to cope with. <laughs>
0: yes, it certainly is. Now, Ace, before I let you go, I see that uh, you guys are floating the idea of a, of a JS4, a new standard class glider. Are you working on the prototype, or what stage are you at?
4: Yeah, we're quite excited about this project, but no, we, we haven't started with a, with a prototype as yet. Um, so the JS4 is in the early design stage. So, the aerodynamic design has been now completed by our aerodynamic team, and they've handed this now over to the structural team. However, the structural team is still um, doing final um, documentation and certification work on the JS2, so they will be released quite soon to do the structural design work on the the JS4. Once the structural design work is completed on that, and we get the go-ahead from the structural team, then we'll start with the manufacturing of the molds and... The uh, prototype could start Although we've already made some parts Of the JS4 uh, We made a new tailplane The tailplane for standard class collider Requires to be slightly slightly bigger As the 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 bucket Or the lift required For standard class profile is a, l- a little more And therefore you have to have a different tailplane So some of the tailplane parts have been done And the plugs for the fuselage Is being prepared already So if you say we has not we haven't started working on on the prototypes themselves, but preparation for the for the prototypes is already um, taken off.
0: Well, that's very exciting. Good for you guys. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me regarding COVID and the situation that uh, South Africa is in. Appreciate it. Stay safe, and look forward to chatting with you again at some point in the future.
4: Excellent, Eri, and good luck for you guys as well. We hope we get soon through this uh, situation, and we can all return to. Do I think, a better life. Yes,
0: let's hope so.
4: Take care. <laughs> yes, I think you do it, Pete. Thanks for the call. Okay, cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: Ace Younger spoke to me from Putschestrom, South Africa. Sticking in the Southern Hemisphere, the New Zealand government has stated the next review of lockdown restrictions will be on the 11th of May. Recreational flying with restrictions may be allowed soon after that, but no one knows for sure. To find out what's happening in Australia, I've reached the President of the Gliding Federation of Australia, Peter Sesko, at his home in Adelaide, South Australia. Hello, Peter, and thanks for coming on the show again.
5: No problems. Always happy to be here. Good.
0: Now, we were going to try and do this interview on Wednesday until you told me that you were going to try and go flying. So uh, what was the flying like?
5: <laughs> Unfortunately, it, uh, there's a front came through and I didn't fly. So. Oh, No. That was sad, but I did some work on my glider, and that's always good. So,
0: so what's the overall status of gliding in Australia right now?
5: Well, about two thirds of the gliders are pretty well locked down, mainly because of travel reasons. They can't—we're not allowed to travel in most cases. Okay. In south In South Australia, where I am, that's quite a bit different. In fact, my club is doing uh, is allowing instructors to fly. Um, on a very controlled basis, uh, and they've checked with the police and the health authorities, and they're all okay with it. So, as we have a competency level for our instructors when we come back from this, so and I do that. I, I have a self-launching glider, so I go gliding once a week, and I, that's that's in an attempt to keep my skill level up, so that when we come back out of it, we can we can go out and start instructing and help people get back into it.
0: So then most of the clubs aren't operational. Yeah. No, most of the
5: clubs are in the Eastern States, West Australia and West Australia, South Australia is the, the least affected. We've had no COVID cases for a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and where we still have, uh, we we're, we're still sticking to the minimum of uh, what our federal government says. Right. And our federal government says we can have 10 people around and all that sort of thing. So, um, Whereas the other states are all much he- more heavily locked down, they've had much, uh, much stronger effects of it. And uh, each state government can add things to the minimum levels and most of the other state governments have.
0: Now, has the, the GFA or the, the Gliding Federation of Australia, have you guys come up with any protocols for the day when it does restart on, in a proper way?
5: No, no, we haven't done that at this stage of the game. We are talking about it, but we've we've basically said to our clubs, which is where our base administration goes, uh, we've said we're not going to tell you what to do during during the COVID um, because there is so much information coming out from the federal and state authorities that all we would do is muddy the waters. So we've said make your own decisions on that, and each club has done that.
6: hmm um,
5: and they're they're making their decisions, but it's largely a measure of of require the requirement to to not travel, uh, and the eastern states in particular are effectively locked down, whereas we're not.
0: So there's no travel between states.
5: No, all the state borders are shut. Huh.
0: Interesting. Uh, you have
5: to have a you have to have a, a have to have a reason to go there.
0: Right.
5: And if you come, if you go into any of the states uh, from another state, you have to go into two weeks self lockdown.
0: Interesting. Yeah. And,
5: and here, it works. Works. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: Here in Canada, most of the provinces, uh, th- you can travel between them. There are a couple out east that if, uh, for example, if we were to go to Newfoundland and Labrador, we would have to spend two weeks in uh, isolation as well. But for the most part, we can travel. But governments are, are absolutely <laughs> discouraging travel of any kind, except if it's, uh, you know, related to any health care or pertinent business that's related to the economy. Yep. So, have you uh, given any thought to two-seaters and what's going to happen with that uh, as as the future, you know, moves along?
5: Well, we we have. I I personally have, of course, because I have a two-seater, um, and uh, we we don't know just exactly what we're going to do yet. So we're still formulating a, a really good response for people. Mm-hmm. But uh, at this stage of the game, it, it's all about making sure the aircraft and everything you touch is is sanitized um, and um, ensuring that people clean their hands and all all those simple things that are are coming to the fore at the moment, which I think they're all going to be around for a long, long time.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, Um, I think you might be right. You given any thought to field landings or any cross-country flying or is that completely off the books?
5: Well, that that would be silly uh, in my mind. I, see, I fly every week, but I only fly locally even though I've got a Nimbus 3DM. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason that I do that, and, and the same as uh, my club is discouraging anybody going anywhere uh, other than local, yeah. is quite simply that if you outland, you've got to go and get somebody else involved. And as soon as you've got somebody else involved, you're upping the risk factor. Yeah. So especially in aircraft like mine where, you know, the inner wing panels weigh 88 kilos each. I can't do that by myself in a, in a, in a paddock. So um, so it's the same, same with, across the board. Um, I don't think there's any cross-country flying going on at the moment. And uh, I'm sincerely hoping it's going to be a really good summer because we've had some pretty bad winters, uh, some pretty bad seasons in the last three years. And then we had the drought over a long period of time. Then we had the bushfires. Yeah,
0: not to mention the fires. Yeah, it's it's almost yeah. you're almost it's script from Armageddon. Do you need flying <laughs> cockroaches or something to, yeah. you know, put icing on the cake? I guess you're the only right.
5: we've had three majors. So, yeah
0: Well, the only good news, I suppose, for you guys. I mean, we're opposite sides of the world. You're going into your non-flying season or you know little flying because of your your winter, even though you get much of it but for us we're just hoping to fly at all this year
5: well see that's that's where we we differ quite a long way when in in winter in 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 europe and america um uh, well, I, I guess canada um you have snow and all that sort of thing so you actually can't fly in most cases whereas we can fly all year round and we do ah.
3: um
5: in in everywhere you know our our winters are Five degrees c at the worst case sort of thing, right, except in some very very unusual areas so so this has actually put us in an area that we're not familiar with we We simply don't have periods of time when nobody flies oh interesting and, huh and and I was actually going to talk to you about that separately after if you don't mind about what you do each year when you come back out of hibernation Right. because uh, we don't have that factor, we just fly all year, and well, we we do tend. We do tend to make winter our, our maintenance period, but we mm-hmm. still fly.
0: Well, um, I've been speaking to a lot of people over the world, uh, you know, Germany, the UK, the USA, South Africa. And uh, the issue that a lot of the countries are having that come out of so-called winter hibernation are spring checks. Almost every country has the requirement to do you know, spring check rides, no matter how experienced you are. And that's yep. one of the things we're dealing with in this part of the world as well—is how to figure that out. So the more experienced pilots, with CFI's permission, will be allowed, in theory, at some point to fly solo. But these are all things that are being worked out in different countries, different states. It's uh, yeah.
5: Yeah. So we're doing that at the moment. We're you know we're not. If you can get to your club, we're not discouraging anybody from flying, uh, especially instructors. And and that's our, our key to opening up afterwards, mm-hmm. because if the instructors can fly, they can get people up and then we can all we can monitor and, and maintain uh, competencies and then we can move on. Right. Absolutely. Well, Peter, thank you for the
0: update. Uh, I'm glad that you're able to, well, hopefully get some flying in maybe next week uh, and uh, stay safe. I hope uh, everything works out for you guys. And. I will be in touch with you again at some point over the next couple of months to see how things are working out.
5: Good on you. Thank you. Okay, take care. Good night. Bye.
0: Peter Sesko, President of the Gliding Federation of Australia, spoke to me from Adelaide, South Australia. <phone rings> And now a word about our sponsor, SkySight, the fabulous weather app designed with glider pilots in mind. If you want to learn more, listen to SkySight's founder, Matthew Scudder, on episode number 7. For listeners of the Thermal who are interested in trying out SkySight to maximize their cross-country flying or just figure out if it's worth the drive to the gliding club, use the voucher promo code THERMAL in capital letters and you'll get a 14-day free trial. There are a number of fabulous webinars on how to use Skysight, a great way to while away the time during COVID. During the COVID pandemic, many of us are trying to find things to replace our time in the glider cockpit with constructive things to do. There are great gliding webinars and how-to videos on YouTube, for example. But even if you're an old and experienced glider pilot like me, there are still goals to be set. My COVID goal is to become an official observer to help my fellow pilots achieve their badge in record flights. For example, getting your silver seat. That first 50 kilometers is a proud achievement for most glider pilots but badge and record flights wouldn't happen without the help of an official observer. Recently, Dave Springford gave a hangar talk on how to become an official observer for the members of my gliding club, the Southern Ontario Soaring Association. Dave is an active competition pilot and a senior official observer. I've reached him at his home in Guelph, Ontario. So Dave, before we get into the business of becoming an official observer, I gather we're not going to be flying anytime soon.
6: Yeah, it doesn't look like that. You know, the province is still on lockdown for another uh two weeks or so. And then there, there you know, there is as Doug Ford said, a roadmap to open. Yeah, um, yeah. Once certain milestones are met. So we'll have to wait and see how those milestones are met and then then where they go. But yeah, I don't I don't foresee us flying in the next two to three weeks for sure. Yeah.
0: And I was talking to one of the board members that uh one of the milestones they're looking for is when other organizations like golf clubs get to open up is when we'll sort of be aiming towards doing some kind of flying, although it wouldn't involve training or two seat checkouts or anything like that
6: yeah, you know one of the one of the big advantages to us is that really we are a self isolating sport we do you know we do spend a lot of time alone. But there, you know, there is enough teamwork required at the beginning and the end of the day. That's that's where the concern arises. So you yeah. just have to figure out how to deal with that aspect of it. Yeah.
0: Anyway, let's get back to becoming an official observer, because I've personally set a goal of becoming one after your chat uh, that you gave to us earlier in the year. So let's get back to the basics. What's the role of an official observer?
6: So really, the, you know, the official observer... Um, in wide open terms is like the referee. Any sport has rules and those rules need to be applied. And the referee is the one who makes sure that everybody plays within the rules. And so that's what the official observer does. There are rules laid out for how you can achieve the various badges and somebody needs to, uh, to then take a look at your flight and verify that it was, it was achieved within the, uh, within the set of rules. And so, really, that's the the role of the O.O. is to look at your flying performance for for that given day and, and ensure that it uh, it was done within the rules set out by the I.G.C. and the sporting code.
0: Right. I mean, if it gets back to the very start of people's gliding careers, when you're starting out for your Silver Sea, all those things you need to be they need to be observed properly. And now with GPS trackers, we've got to make sure that they're downloaded properly and that the chain of is is securely in place all those sorts of details and we wouldn't be able to do those flights without an official observer and that's why it's important to have them at clubs right
6: yeah absolutely um you know backing up a little bit you know one of the things we we truly recognize as clubs is that we need to be able to challenge our members in order to have retention to keep the members in the club and flying and so one of those challenges is to fly the FFAI badge systems, you know, through your silver, gold, and diamond badges. Um, And so to do that, you then need to have the tools within the club, and that being the official observer. And so you have to have enough of them that there's basically somebody there any given day that uh, there's a a club member that wants to go fly a badge flight.
0: So how does one go about becoming an OO?
6: So what I'm going to talk about is – pretty specifically Canadian, you know, there's some some overriding or overruling uh, concepts that, that come from the FAI, but, you know, the first thing is you need to know the sporting code. So you need to read through the sporting code, and more importantly, the the FAI has produced a really good document. Actually, Tony Burton from Canada is part of the committee that produced that. And it's the uh, pilot and OO's guide to the sporting code. It's known as Annex C to Sporting Code 3. And it it lays it out in much plainer English. What are the requirements for each of these performances? And so the OO needs to be very familiar with that guide and with the sporting code in general Mm -hmm. because he's the one who's arbitrating the rules, so he needs to know the rules. And so that's the first thing is you need to know the sporting code.
0: It and sounds then, a little bit intimidating. Is it is it hard to figure out? It's it's not horrible <laughs> to figure out, but it
6: is it's not completely straightforward. Um you know the 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 sporting code itself is written in, in very uh you know, very uh legal type language, shall we say. And I don't find it easy to navigate and find things in, and that's where the the OO's guide is much better. It is easier to understand from that perspective. Mm-hmm. So, but the basics you know, there are several levels of, of achievements, right? Up to world records. And that's where absolutely the OO has to be completely on the ball and know everything. Whereas if you're, you know, if you're an OO for a silver badge, that's a lot easier, right? <laughs> you, you don't need to, uh, to know quite as many things if you're looking after the silver badge, and you know the complexity goes up as you go up through the badges. Right. And so right. most badge legs that we see at uh, at Sosa are 50k, or well not 50k, but silver badge legs. You know the 50, to the five hour, and the thousand meter height gain, and those are really easy for an O.O. to process. Right. Um, it doesn't right. start getting difficult really until you, you get into the the kind of uh, distance flight, or not the distance, but the goal flights uh, where you actually have to declare turn points and cross a start line and cross a finish line, that's where things get a little bit more complex for the pilot and the OO.
0: I spoke to uh, uh, Terry Delore out of uh, New Zealand a little while back who had a record-breaking flight, would have had more records if he'd uh, been – up to speed with the, the latest changes to the sporting code, which caught him out a little bit.
6: Yeah, uh, unfortunately. and And I think our friends in the Southern Hemisphere get caught a little bit by sporting code changes. You know, we Northern Hemisphere people look at October as a great time to introduce new changes because then everybody has six months to go through the changes before it affects them on a flight. Whereas the Southern Hemisphere guys – the changes take place on this day in October, and then your badge is not valid because you did something that was valid yesterday. Yeah, so it's a bit yeah. unfortunate.
0: So, at our club, I'm going to be going through well through the procedures that you've laid out to study and do a little exams and talk to uh, you and some of the other OOs at the club. What is you mentioned the uh, the guide? Is that the best place for people to go for information on this?
6: Yeah, really, the two documents, the Sporting Code Section 3, which is the full Sporting Code, and then the the Section 3 Annex C, the OO and Pilots Guide. That's the only place you can go as the resource to read. Um, So once you're comfortable that you've gone through that and have some understanding, then IGC overall says they're the national association. So in Canada, the Soaring Association of Canada is responsible for uh, deciding how an OO can become an OO and what we have in Canada is a quiz there's something like a 35 question quiz based on those two documents it's an open book quiz it uh, it has the references for the answers right at the bottom of the question so you can read the question and either you know it or you don't if you don't you look up the answers in the in the two documents and then you select your answer from the multiple choice once uh once you've done that quiz you send it to me as the club senior OO And I take a look at it and grade it for you and correct any mistakes. And then there's an application form that we fill out and send it to the National Association. And the National Association then issues you your OO number that's used on all your your claim forms that you'll complete.
0: Well, it sounds very straightforward or relatively straightforward. I'm going to be... uh hitting the books during covid because god knows i don't have much else to do. so dave thanks very much for uh enlightening us on on how this works and uh i hope to see you out at the club uh, at some point this summer.
6: Yeah, hopefully uh hopefully we'll be out there. Looks like the first really nice weekend coming up this weekend. Uh,
0: I think i'm going to stay in bed with a pillow over my head. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Okay>. exactly. <laughs> All
6: right, Dave. Thanks. Take care. Yeah, you too, Harry. Bye, Bye. now.
0: Dave Springford spoke to me from Guelph, Ontario. A link that will take you to the FAI's sporting code for gliding has been posted on the Thermal's Facebook page. That's it for episode number 12 of the Thermal. I will be back again in early June with another show that will include an interview with the author of True Gliding a book that's just been translated into English from its original Swedish. It's a humorous look at gliding clubs everywhere. We will also have an interview with Dave Nadler, a highly experienced competition pilot with thousands of hours. Dave did what we all hope to never do. He bailed out of his out-of-control glider and lived to tell the tale. Webinars have been a great way to stay involved. I've been virtually attending many. I've done a field landing refresher, learned how to fly the wave over Scotland, and heard weather and flight analysis tips from Jake Brattle and Finn Slay. Stay safe and don't let COVID get you down. Sooner or later, we will be chasing thermals again. Thanks for centering the Thermal Podcast. See you next time. I'm Harry Tenkate.